Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. This is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. Hey, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. This is Rami Rahim, CEO of Juniper Networks. Rami, thanks so much for making time for us. Uh, I do appreciate it. And it's good to see you again, well, or, or to talk to you again. I guess the people on audio can't see us, so we should yeah. just say, it's great to talk to you again. I feel the same way. It's great to talk someday. To you. I'll learn how to do podcasting properly, but let's not start. Do, let's not start now. That uh, that would that would upset everybody. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, I've I've got so many questions, but I think I can kind of pare down all that's going on in Juniper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to a couple of things. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, of course, is acquisitions because the mm-hmm. company. I would say over the last, you know, let's say the last decade, it's grown quite a bit um, and been been uh, acquisitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the latest one, the company was called white sand is, uh, if I'm even saying it right, I, it just occurred mm-hmm. to me, I've seen it spelled a million times. I've not actually said it out loud. So, yeah. um, I'm going to say it's white sand. Maybe it's pronounced differently. It's exactly um, white sand. Okay. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, to find out how is that acquisition coming along? And then while we're at it, can we catch up with like how the 128 business is going or what, what became, you know, where that was. And I'm probably missing one or two, but what's, uh, you know, how, how those have kind of both integrated into the company and then kind of what your, you know, how the whole strategy is, is, is coming together. Well, Phil, it's a great place to start because you're right. We have been more acquisitive than normal over the last couple of years in particular, and it's been for a reason. Um, I think if you, Rewind in this industry, there was a lot of focus on the dimensions of scale and performance of the network, and that remains incredibly important. And that's an area that we at Juniper have always done well at, and we intend to continue to do well at with our silicon design, our software, scalable software capabilities, network operating system development, all that stuff. But I now think that the industry has moved on. And the biggest problem that we're solving for our customers today is not any longer just in scale and performance. It really is around experience. And when I talk about experience, I'm talking about specifically experience from the standpoint of two important stakeholders, those that run the network, that get typically the 3 a.m. calls that get them out of bed to solve some critical problem, and those that use the network for practically everything. And when I say everything, I really mean everything. Just look at the last couple of years as we've gone through this pandemic, I shudder to even think of a world in which the network was not here to keep us connected, to keep us educated, to keep us working, et cetera. So that has been the strategy that has driven our acquisition um, approach, if you will. And I'm as much as I'm proud at Juniper of the internal innovation that happens, we're also at Juniper humble enough to recognize that sometimes the best innovation happens outside of our four walls. We can tap into that with our strong financials. So mm-hmm. this started with uh, Mist a few years ago, which has been in yep. any dimension a great home run for us. Um, it, it, it is the smartest AI engine for networking today across mm-hmm everything from, from client to cloud. Uh, we followed that up with a company called Abstra, which is really around changing the paradigm for day two operations in the data center. They really pioneered the concept of intent-based networking. We also did a company called 120 Technology, 
that fits beautifully into the mist client to cloud solution. Well, now we can take to our customers a complete AI driven cloud delivered solution that crushes the number of operational trouble tickets, reduces the time to deployment all the way from client to cloud um, with 120 technology sitting in the WAN. And then also coupled to the missed client to cloud strategy is White Sand. So what is White Sand? White Sand is a pioneer in cloud native zero trust network access control, right? NAC mm-hmm. is the short way of saying that. Uh, there are NAC solutions that are out there, but they're typically going to be legacy on-prem. Our approach to NAC is truly to take it to the cloud, just like Mist has taken network operations to the cloud. This NAC solution that we are developing with the exceptional talent that came with White Sand and the technology that they brought with them is a cloud-delivered solution for NAC that plugs seamlessly into the Mist client-to-cloud solution. Okay, so you're helping them, you know, helping out enterprises with not just the connectivity part, the the intent-based networking, making sure that um, what's going over the network uh, that they that that the network understands where 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 the traffic is going, why it needs to get uh, from point A to point B, uh, and then securing it along the way. Um, Absolutely you know, right, and you know, I'll tell you, there's one seriously um, evident trend that we're seeing right now in the market. And is that, and it is that, you know, it used to be that customers would ask us for a Wi-Fi solution or a mm-hmm. WAN solution. Increasingly, the big projects that are out there by the large enterprises that are driving to complete automation, digital transformation, hybrid work models are end-to-end solutions, which means mm-hmm. it's around everything in the path from the user to the cloud, cloud of choice, whether it's a private or a public cloud. And then it's around assuring that connection. It's around making sure that when there are issues that we they have the ability to diagnose this, those issues instantaneously, typically before a user has the opportunity to understand that an issue occurred. And then of course, as you mentioned, it's around security and, and that's where NAC plays in, uh, into the solution in addition to our firewall capabilities. When you're, um, uh, well, there's, there's a couple of things I want to pick apart there, but um, just a, a, it's a logical progression in terms of, you know, how you describe the business now. But when you're looking at uh, companies and technologies out there, how do you evaluate what makes a good acquisition versus, you know, what makes an interesting investment? Because, you know, Juniper also has, uh, a, I guess, a venture finance arm or or you know, do, does some venture investing. Um, what, what ticks the box, you know, and says, oh, we need to, this needs to be part of our solution right now. Right. So it's, it's another great question. And I'll, I will say that Juniper has gotten m- markedly better at both the selection of acquisition targets, as well as the integration of those acquisitions into the end-to-end solutions. So first, how do we select we, we are looking for technologies that solve this experience-first networking or accelerate our execution in experience-first networking. So that's okay. number one. I, I'm, you know, I don't think Juniper is looking for new TAM. We already have a large and growing TAM of 50 billion plus that we can go and address. I'm looking for ways to accelerate that. Second, it's about the teams. It's so important to find companies that have experienced 
uh, seasoned, typically very highly technical teams that will integrate well into the culture of Juniper Networks. Um, mm -hmm. And then I mentioned once you've selected, I mean, that's only such a small piece of the overall success story of any acquisition, then comes the hard part of integration. And that's where I think we've gotten really good as a company. And honestly, one of the ways in which we've approached integration, take, for example, the MIST solution, it has been a bit of a reverse integration where the MIST leadership team is now running our end-to-end -end client to cloud business. And that approach has worked incredibly well for us. I mean, the business and practically any dimension you look at is doubling from a revenue standpoint, a total booking standpoint, new logos. Uh, it's doing extremely well in the market. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it, it is. An, it, um, I'm a big fan of that approach. Or it is interesting when you see companies, you know, sort of double down on the assumptions that they and, and their, the due diligence that they made uh, when they acquired a company to sort of say, like, not only is this a great company, but these are great people. And we hope to keep yeah. this as this team as intact as possible and and give them more to do, give them more resources, give them, you know, uh, introduce them to all of our customers, that sort of thing. That that sort yeah. of it, seems like the the the, uh, the the hallmark of a successful acquisition. Well, I can't agree more. In many ways, the team is even more important than the technology itself, because Let's just say, you know, you, you, you develop something that doesn't necessarily hit the mark initially. A great team can pivot quickly and adapt to the changing requirements. I mean, it, it sort of reminds me of when I joined Juniper Networks many, many, many years ago. Uh, I didn't have much visibility into what the company was actually developing at the time because they were still in stealth mode. And ultimately, I was trying to make a decision. How do I, how do I actually you know, decide if I want to join Juniper or not? Uh, back when it was a tiny little startup and i got some of the best advice from one of my professors that said you know what it doesn't matter what they're working on is it an exceptional team base your decision on that and that's what i did and obviously it was a fateful decision one of the best decisions of my life this still seems like it's working out uh, <laughs> yeah uh, i'm not i'm not saying anything to make you nervous uh let's see so uh the the other question i have is 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 in the um well so you you make you make a great sort of explanation about what your, you know, how an acquisition catches your eye or what, what, what characteristics seem to, to apply. But like I said earlier, you, you've, you know, Juniper has got a pretty compelling story around, you know, the entire, um, uh, you know, suite of connectivity services and networking services for enterprises. Um, the enterprise seems to be a big focus now. Is that just, uh, you know, circumstance of late or can you just can you give us a little insight as to um why is the enterprise seem you know what what is juniper's focus in the enterprise yeah. and how does that affect like what you're doing on the service provider side and you know in any other uh, yeah. uh verticals that you're chasing yeah you're asking all the right questions phil so every tech company i think needs to transform uh, in order to survive. And mm -hmm. Juniper has been not only on a transformation journey, I think it's almost like a reinvention journey over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And our goal, my goal, especially over the last several years in this job as CEO is to build a really resilient company. And I think diversity of solutions and your customer base creates that resilience. So we have very deliberately 
branched out into the enterprise, but we didn't want to do it just in the way that other enterprise-focused companies have been doing it. We really wanted to do it from the standpoint of building the best experience-first solutions, leveraging uh, cloud-delivered AI control, um, mm. high degree of automation, and that's the recipe that I think has really worked for us. So it, it was not easy. Uh, it involves setting the path, selling the path to your board of directors, your investors, to your employees, building the foundation with the right organizational structure, transformation of go-to-market, the acquisitions that we just discussed, and so on and so forth. Now, the second part of your question was, what about SPs? Um, SPs remain incredibly important to our business overall. And in fact, much of our enterprise success has been driven with partnerships that we've established with our longtime SP partners. Right. Mm -hmm. So now it's not just Juniper selling the critical infrastructure that's running our SP customers, core edge metro networks. It's also around being a part of their enterprise growth, enterprise success stories through managed services. And in fact, it's the very the simplicity, the, um, the in automation, the differentiation of our solutions that allows managed service providers to achieve uh, growth that's driving the success with our SB customers as a channel. Okay, so it's a it's a complementary uh, effort uh, all all the way throughout, but also, uh, yeah, with the with the enterprise. I mean, I I think you're right. The the markets there's two things kind of going on in the markets. Obviously, enterprise and service provider are coming closer together. You know, enterprises mm -hmm. are acting a lot like service providers nowadays mm -hmm. with private networks and and you know wanting to uh, basically be the front of the services that they provide, you know, from connectivity all the way through, not just to their own employees, but to maybe to customers as well. There's a, a lot of excitement around 5G in that sort of area with network slicing and stuff. So yep. as we see those, that kind of come to fruition, being able to sell to both and give, uh, you know, a, a, a really good solution kind of to both ends of, of the connectivity spectrum, I think, uh, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there wasn't really a question. I was just talking. Uh, I, I can get better at podcasting as we go. <laughs> um, as I, uh, as I uh, wanted to uh, bring up a couple of things in the service provider side, you know, just some trends since you guys are so uh, deep into that market. But one of the ones that, that stuck out to me lately was uh, Juniper's participation in uh, what uh, Rakuten is doing uh, in terms of trying to revolutionize the ORAN, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the radio access network and, and wireless networks, trying to build um, really low cost ORAN solutions. I, I say low cost, but mm -hmm. sort of uh, repeatable low cost ORAN solutions. And you were announced, uh, Juniper was announced as one of the partners uh, yeah. in the Rakuten Symphony's uh, announcement for that. I can't remember what the device is called, but um, what... Uh, how is that partnership going and what what do you think that says about you know the kind of the trend uh you know in the in the service provider space does it does yeah. that does that signal something we, we we might see more of well so let's first by start by talking a little bit about the oran opportunity mm -hmm. we love the oran opportunity um and this concept of disaggregation of what is the traditional architecture for delivering wireless connectivity 
uh, both public 5G and private 5G, because it gives strong technology players like Juniper an opportunity to participate in the value chain. Now you can pick and choose what areas you can contribute to a, you know, this ecosystem of ORAN that can add real value and give us real relevance to 5G uh, solutions to our customers. So for us, it really came down to two, a couple of key areas. The first is the RIC, the Radio Intelligence Controller. This is a new control point in the RAN architecture. And the second is around using our containerized routing stack, which turns out to solve a really meaningful problem for an end-to-end ORAN solution. We've been working with the ORAN Alliance as co-chairs, we've been document editors, and our goal here is to ensure an open ecosystem, right? No closed approach to ORAN makes sense in our view. So now going to this uh, Rakuten partnership, it's going great. We are honestly very proud partners with Rakuten, which is a very innovative, disruptive player in this space. The specific solution or the appliance that um, you refer to is called the Simware. And what Simware does is that combines the containerized cell site routing functionality. It combines the uh, containerized distributed unit, otherwise known as a DU, on a single general purpose server platform. And to that, we are bringing our disaggregated carrier hardened, you know, cloud native routing stack. This is sort of the routing stack that has been proven for, you know, a couple of decades now, but put into a lightweight containerized form factor that Mm -hmm. solves a number of key um, things or delivers these outcomes for customers. First, it, it can radically reduce the capital and operating expenses. It can cost effectively densify networks. Um, It can increase agility because you're going to a pure software architecture. Uh, Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's an exciting uh, project. It's still early days in terms of customer adoption, but the interest level in solutions like this from many of the customers that I talk to is very high. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity for sure. Yeah, it was interesting because they were, you know, um, they, they were, attempting to disrupt a space, but they were doing it in a way that had a lot of credibility behind it. You know, they weren't just saying, oh, hey, we built this in our garage. Um, We hope service providers like it. (laughs) It's like- Well, I think Brecton has a lot of firsthand experience in building a large scale, very dense network. And Mm -hmm. yeah, they've used those lessons to build these compelling solutions that can help other operators. And we're proud to be a part of that. It doesn't. I wonder if this makes it challenging, um, you know, for uh, uh, for CEOs in the networking space to sort of assess simultaneously the needs of these. Like, um, and I guess I would put, you know, I guess I would fold uh, the the cloud hyperscalers into the same uh, group as like service providers. They are service providers of a sort, um, just really hungry ones, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and well capitalized. But I, you know, when I see, uh, the success, like you said, that it's, it's the success in building, um, you know, massive networks with huge, with lots of endpoints and lots of connectivity and doing so, you know, a, a ridiculous volume of transactions over that network. That's just a completely different kind of company mm-hmm. that's suddenly getting into the connectivity space than, than, what we've seen in the same way that Amazon was kind of a completely different company getting into, you know, providing core infrastructure. Um, 
I guess what I'm 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 coming around to is um, how does all of this uh, all of these changes and and all of this growth uh, does that make it more challenging to keep up with in terms of you know uh, you know where the where to put your emphasis and your investment on the networking side um, right. You know, in some sense, yeah, I'm not going to lie. It makes things a little bit more challenging because the market becomes more dynamic. But with change in the market, I think comes opportunity to take share. That's how we look at these changes. So let's take a look at the service provider opportunity uh, that you were touching on. I think the Mm -hmm. expectations and opportunities for SPs have been rapidly evolving over the last few years. And, and start by just thinking about the architecture. The traditional RAN has been disaggregated into these different elements, RU, DU, CU. And right. once they've been disaggregated, they've been virtualized and distributed into strategic locations in the network. The traditional core has been disaggregated into all these different functions, MMEs, PCRFs, HSS, I mean, all the alphabet soup of components. <laughs> and they themselves right. have now been virtualized and distributed. So, you know, it used to be that the network was this thing that sort of connected the people to the infrastructure, the people to the clouds. Now, the network has become this living, thriving thing that's actually the cloud itself. All of Mm -hmm. these elements, the the disaggregated RAN, the disaggregated core, need to be connected together. And that has Mm -hmm. put like unprecedented demands on the network. So I view this as a huge opportunity, first for Juniper in serving our SB customers, but even for service providers, you know, they have some amazing core capabilities. They've got billing relationships, they've got vast amounts of data. They're sitting on a gold mine of data. They have beachfront property with their central offices that are close to enterprises and close to the end users. They can leverage that capability to do something really amazing, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to ORAN and the applications that sit on top of ORAN. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, The the service providers are in a a great, uh, have always been in a great strategic spot to take advantage of our connectivity needs, even as they're growing as quickly as they are. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you said, that, that whole edge computing thing, it's like you hear service providers talking about edge computing and then everywhere in every neighborhood, you know, these central offices have, uh, you know, power cooling and real estate just sitting there (laughs) and and you're like, well, you know, problem solved. They've, they've got, or or most of it solved. Um, the, uh, what, what, what do you think, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I need to, uh, let you go soon because I'm getting the, I'm getting the high sign from, um, from Juniper PR. They, they, uh, they, they fired their warning shot, but, uh, Uh (laughs) I want to, um, uh, end with a thought about uh, service provider automation. Uh, what are the what are the big challenges uh, that you're helping service providers overcome with regard to automation? Because that seems to be um, from where the service providers are coming from. That seems to be one of the uh, the biggest obstacles uh, to them unlocking some of the business opportunities that are out there you know, uh, at the other end of their connectivity is just, just speeding up everything that they can, uh, uh, you know, that they can do in their network. Yeah. You know, like I said earlier, the last two decades of networking, I think have been around scale and performance. I think the future, even the present is about experience first networking. And that is about Mm -hmm. radically simplifying day zero, one and two automation. And here 
I'm referring to everything from design, install, configuration, operation, visualization, optimization of the network. And, you know, I think there's finally this recognition, maybe by necessity, because the last couple of years, you know, where there haven't been sort of a lot of the ability for humans to touch networks, to actually keep them up and to, to fix them, to, to address issues. Yeah. We've now moved from PowerPoint automation to actual deployment automation, which is incredibly exciting to me. I think there is this belief, uh, an understanding now that to an end user, a network that is up is not necessarily a network that is good. And determining mm. the difference between up and good is really powerful. And the way in which you do so is by tapping into the most precious resource in the world, data. And our solutions have been built ground up to tap into the most amounts of data that's extracted through telemetry from living, breathing networks, and then using that data to make us smarter, to tell us if the network is actually good, to achieve right. fastest deployment times, to understand where the problems are and to crush the number of trouble tickets. In fact, we have customers now where we've reduced trouble tickets in their networks by over 90% automatically through this, uh, this solution. And, and, and we've seen something that emerges from all this, which is very powerful flywheel effects. You leverage this data to learn, to do a great job at achieving better outcomes for your customers in a more uh, reliable network. That in turn creates more network connections, more customers that use your product, which guess what? Gives you even more performance more data, data that helps yeah. you achieve even better outcomes. And that flywheel is a very powerful flywheel, both for our customers uh, as well as for us at Juniper. Yeah, that does make sense. I, it, it, when people have confidence in network services, they are going to do more on the network. They're going to you know, recommend them to others and that sort of thing. One mm -hmm. point of contention, I would, I would argue that coffee is a more precious resource than anything else in the world, <laughs> but, but I'm coming at it from a completely different view. So I totally understand that. I'm not going to um, debate you on that. I'm going <laughs> to actually agree with you. <laughs> All right. Very good. Um, I think we, uh, uh, we should probably leave it there then. Uh, uh, Rami Rahim, thanks so much for, uh, again, for being a, a return guest on the Light Reading Podcast. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure as always. Uh -huh.